Good morning. How is everybody? Good? Well, we're uh, making our way slowly through Romans. And, and really, we want to do that. It's intentional. We want to note the tensions. There's a, there's a lot of tensions when you start to slow down your reading and think about the Christian life. And um, So th- here's the deal. We, we don't want to just be about information. We would like to see transformation. Is that fair? And in order to see transformation, you deliberately have to go slower. It's, it's why the Bible says, keep in step with the Spirit. It's this idea of moving with God. And the thing that we're going to talk about today is this tension between the here and the not yet. It's like we've, we've got a taste. And, he, and the reality for all of us is we are wired for a much different place than we find ourselves in right now. We are wired for eternity. We are wired for the perfect place. We are wired with this continual connection with God. And we're in this place that's really got lots of interruptions and lots of distractions and a lot of trials. And in the midst of it, we hear this phrase and we're not sure how to make sense of it. This is the phrase. Hey, there's good news. There's good news. And you go, ah, how do I make sense of everything going on around me, inside of me, in my life, my friend's life? So we've got to really think about this phrase, good news, because it's the very foundation of what the New Testament is about. It's the very foundation of what Paul is going to write to us about in Romans. It's the very foundation of our lives, this good news idea. And so... We opened up and we read these two. This is from the New Living Translation, which Brendan originally started with because he wanted you to get this phrase here. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. And Brendan did a great job of unpacking that. Chosen by God to be an apostle, a messenger, and sent out to preach his good news. And God promised this good news long ago through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. And so for a long time, all of history is building towards this moment where there's this good news delivered. And so it's an incredibly important phrase and idea. And we have to ask the question, what is it? Because I talk to people sometimes in the counselor room and they say, you know, the Christian life, I don't know if it's really been that good. They're being honest. And they're struggling, trying to make sense. How is there this good God who has a good plan for me and my life is down here? It doesn't make sense. I, so it almost seems like it's irrelevant. I remember before becoming a Christian when my mom made me, she said, I just want you to, to go to one confirmation class and see what you think. I, I already knew when I was going. You know, I don't know what this is going to be like, but... And actually, after I became a Christian, I thought back, that pastor was really preaching the gospel. But I, I remember walking away, and there was a group of us students that we were talking. We were like, we have all the wisdom of, like, junior high. You know, and we're talking, well, what do you think about this God stuff? And I, I said, I don't know, but it doesn't make sense to me that something that happened 2,000 years ago has any impact on my life now. I was just being honest. And I was thinking about it as I was preparing this message. 
There is a lot of believers out there that wouldn't say that, but they live like that. Something happened way back there, but I don't know what it has to do with right now. So usually what happens is the church takes the phrase good news and they turn it into good advice. And you see a lot of sermons about this. How to, when to, what to. And we could teach you how to pray. We could teach you how to read the Bible. We could teach you all these things that you should do. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about news. And it's important. You'll see how important it is. Now, good news, you know, when we step into the Bible, we're stepping into a developed language. Greek is so dense. It has so many words for saying so many things. I mean, the word love has got all these different descriptors. You have eros, and you have phileo, and you have storge. You have all these different things describing what we would use the word love for. And when you think about the phrase good news, it's got a big story behind it. It literally was used primarily to communicate military news. So think about this. The world that Paul lived in was this Roman Empire. All throughout, massive empire, mighty armies, feared. Their world was so different than ours. We vote for our officials. Back there, you got them. And you either got on board or you got... It was a much different world. Most of the world, when you look at most of history, this idea of democracy is so new. It's so incredibly new. The fact that we have freedom to come and sit here today, that we have freedom to express our opinion in word and in write, in writ. We could write to the editor. We can communicate what we think. That's a, that's a mind-blowing historical breakthrough, but that's not their world. Their world is full of kings. I mean, we think Washington gets a little big and bossy. Think about a king. Most of them, when they get that much power, where do people do well with power and privilege? And as a king, it's unlimited. And so this known world is ruled by a king. And their rule affects you, it, it, especially a Jew. It's, it has a, a deep impact on your life. And they couldn't just flip on the news. You know, Joshua couldn't say to his wife, Rachel, flip on the news. And there was Rabbi so-and-so telling you the latest, greatest. That's not their world. They couldn't Google something. They couldn't pick up their phone. It, 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 it was a slow-moving thing. You could get whispers. And so here's an example of how this world is unfolding, this map that, that this phrase, good news, comes from. You see, in 44 B.C., Julius Caesar was assassinated, and his heir, his successor, Octavian, ended up in a civil war with Antony, who was one of Caesar's best friends. This sounds like Rome, doesn't it? It's a Roman rumble. And what it's about is it's about this. It's who's going to run the show. And as much as the Romans want you to think they're civil people, mm, they're conniving people, especially those politicians. And so these two began to start a civil war. And, and so instead of the Roman armies focused on the, ruling the empire, they're trying to 
keeps some sense of order and it's escalating and it's building. And the world now knows that there is trouble in Rome. The world now knows there's this fight between Antony and Octavian. Who's going to win? And about half of them were for each one of them. And so it is a big heavyweight battle slugging it out. One in which you don't have a whole lot of control, but you know it will affect your life. And so Octavian defeats Antony in the Battle of Actium. Antony and Cleopatra flee to Egypt, where eventually they commit suicide. And and slowly but surely, the messengers begin to get to the big metropolitan areas, and the news begins to uh, seep out to all the different farms of what's happened. Who's won? And Octavian had to go around and kind of clean up things. But here's the reality. If you're alive in these days, you better become a fan of Octavian or else. The news has been delivered. And he is now your ruler. Interesting to note that Herod, we know about Herod, don't we? Talk a lot come Easter time about Herod the Great. There he was ruling over the Jewish region. He was not a fan of Octavian. He was a fan of Antony. But being the wily leader he was, this is what he did. He goes to see Octavian. He goes straight to him. And he congratulates him on his great victory. And he says, listen, I don't want you to think about whose friend I've been. I want you to think about what a loyal friend I've been. And I want to pledge that loyalty to you. Pretty crafty, huh? But you see, the news impacted Herod's life, and he knew, i got to do something. Life is different now. It's changed. And I better get on board the Octavian train. And it's this kind of phrase, this world-changing, world-shaking, world-impacting news that that's the phrase the gospel writers grab. So it's about kings and kingdoms and rulers and reigning. So with that in mind, we ask the question, well, what's, what's so good about this news? What's so good about the gospel news? Because, you know, if you, if you just say, well, back there 2,000 years ago, this thing happened, and I, I know it, it has some impact, In fact, for many churches and for many Christians, the thing that happened back there, this cross experience and the resurrection, it's given them fire insurance. And they're kind of at a holy bus stop right now, just waiting to be lifted up to heaven. But what about the meantime? Does it have impact now? Does it have any relevance? And the reality is, Paul... And Jesus and John and Peter want you to realize this good news isn't about something back there or for something way up here. It's for something right now. Right now, here, in this very moment, the good news has relevancy. Why? Well, because the king that everybody's waited for is here. He's here, right now. Jesus says, two or three are gathered in my name. Where's Jesus, people? He's here. If you ask those Sunday school kids, where's Jesus? Where do they say? He's here. 
He's here. Now, I want you to think about this because this is why the good news starts to become good and its relevancy starts to be now. How many of you in the last few months at work have, have said the question, I wish someone would help me? I wish some of, yeah, I wish someone would notice me. I wish someone would give me a raise. Lift me up. Come on, people. There is something inside of us, all of our life, you're longing to be discovered, found, recognized, lifted up, helped, nurtured, cared for, protected. It's in the very core of our being. And what Jesus did was he said, I am coming down to, re- to reveal to the world around and to the, the people and the generations to come, the real, true king is back in his creation. And this king, he came and he, 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 he blew people's minds. He noticed everyone. Lepers that were pushed out of town were brought close. He touched them. He held their faces and laid his hands on their pussy wounds. He drew the prostitutes. He drew the tax collectors. He drew the rejects. He drew all kinds of fringe people. And he was kind and compassionate. He showed no favoritism. He served them. He fed them. He led them. He loved them. Who wouldn't want this kind of king? Who? Who? Who wouldn't want that, right? But there's a tension. That's why we need to have this conversation this morning. Because there's always a little or a big battle that goes on because there's King Me. King me. I like me. I believe that the world revolves around me. The road system is mine. How dare you cut me off? I've been so kind as to let you travel on my roads next to me, and you have the audacity to cut me off? I know me. I know what I like. I know what I don't like. I I trust me. And this world of me is a very nice place. It's familiar. It's known. And you know what? The good news messes with this. And Jesus is just straight on honest about it because he comes and the first words out of his mouth are this. The time has come. For what? The kingdom of God has come near. Hooray! Then what? Repent and trust the good news. Most versions say believe, but you know, when we say believe, we just go into this intellectual exercise, and the word that believe is, is business. It's just leaning on. It's laying your life on. It's, it's just throwing everything you've got. It's the pearl of great worth. It's, it's everything that you could possibly get and lean on and live on. That's what that word means. So belief 
God's not asking you to go, I believe in you, God. He's asking you to lean everything. Free fall. Trust. Now, let's stop and think about this, because this is where you go, oh boy, there's a vortex there. I'm not sure I want to go there. Because I like King me, and I like the kingdom of me. It's beautiful. It's known. Now, repent. Why does... Because repent's one of those words we have a picture of, you know. So mad at you? That's not what the word means. What Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's available to anyone and everyone. So therefore, stop living just on your own strength. Stop thinking that way. Stop living that way. Stop walking that way. Stop working that way. I want to be involved with you. Take my yoke upon you. And you will find rest. That's what he's talking about. Repent. He says, stop. Because all of our lives, what we know is what we know. Which means me-dumb. This is my me-dumb. We just grow there. My little granddaughter right now, she just turned a year and a half, and she's a little bit early, but guess what her favorite word is? Mine. Her medium is expanding. And how dare Grandpa think that he could share her toys? And so Jesus is saying, you're going to have to stop that. you got to stop that. And you got to trust me. And will you please realize who it is that's talking to you? I'm the good king that came, fed the multitudes, healed the blind, set the captives free, lifted up those who were downtrodden, mended the brokenhearted. I am the prince of peace. I am the king of real comfort, of lasting life. I am the way and the truth and the life. Will you please trust me? But that tension of trust is hard, isn't it? This is why Paul says later on in verse 5, he says this phrase, obedience that comes from faith. And faith equals trust. It's not an obedience because God is just always behind you, slapping you. Come on, my football coaches are so annoying. It doesn't matter if you have a helmet on. Bam, bam. Come on, Spencer. It's like, stop it. Read, watch the movie Concussion. You know? That, that's not God. That's not God. He wants an obedience that flows because you trust he's the good, he's the good one. That's why he says in John, if you love me, you will obey my commands. That isn't, that isn't saying how we often think, ooh, if you love me, like I'd say to Hannah, the little two-year-old in, in Bud, if you love me, you'll obey me. No. It's the trust and it's the love, but it puts us into attention. And what Paul and what Jesus want us to get is it's not about the right beliefs, but about the right relationship. And so I like this sticker. I don't like the old ones that said, Jesus is my co-pilot. I don't need Jesus to be my co-pilot. Spencer is a disaster. Jesus, you drive. So 
the tension, though, of when we give that over, how many of you have given um, driver's education, you know, just help someone get their license? I can't think of the phrase. Yeah. That's an adventure, isn't it? Betsy and I were talking about when we were in River Falls planting a church, there were a large number of Taiwanese students there. And there was this one guy that I got to know well. His, his American name was Maurice, which I always thought was interesting. You know, that, but he loved the name Maurice. I said, why would you pick Maurice? He said, because I just like how it sounds. And I said, well, I'm going to call you Mo. Because yeah, I, that's just, you know. And, and Maurice was an engineer, a student studying engineering. And he wanted to do mechanical engineering, but he didn't have his license. So he, he asked me one time, he said, would you teach me to drive? And I said, yes, before I really thought about it. Because there's a little bit of a language barrier. And so Maurice would be driving down, and I'd say, Maurice, now up here you're going to want to turn right. All he would hear is turn right. He'd be going right through, up on sidewalks and stuff. Maurice, stop the car! He understood that. So he would stop. Maurice, when I say turn right up here, I mean where there's actually a turn to turn to. Are we, are we, we had, we had all kinds of adventures, you know. When my mom taught us how to drive, it was hysterical. And I think it left a left, lasting trauma impact on her life because what we noticed, we were, all of us kids were just talking about this, whenever we'd be driving and mom would be in the passenger seat, we would hear this. <laughs> and we'd always say, mom, there's no break there. I know, but that feels good, she'd say. That just feels good. And how many of us do this when Jesus is driving? Because the reality, we talk about this, that's the me zone, that's the trust zone, and that's the stress. What it's really about is, this is my way, I like that. This is Jesus in me, I start going. Because it feels like I'm going to die. Even though it's good news that he's leading, it's good news that it's he that leads. I found this out almost right away, my second year as a Christian. Betsy and I had just gotten married and we went to Florida with some friends. And you know what? The honeymoon with Jesus was starting to end. My honeymoon with my wife was starting, but with Jesus it was ending. Does that happen to you? Where, you know, when I first became a Christian, it was like, there is no such thing as gravity. And it was like someone greased the skids. It was easy. I was happy. It seemed like Jesus was a giant Santa Claus. You know? He's just trying to get me to realize that he's a good king. And we're down in Florida, and I'm walking alone on the beach, and the ocean is rumbling, and I, I love being on there. And I hear really clearly, it's time. For what, Lord? It's time. I know, I, I heard the time, but for what? It's time for you to forgive your dad. Whoa, 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 whoa. Get thee behind me, Satan. Because <laughs> my dad and I were not good. Not at all. I'm embarrassed to say some of the things I said to him. I'm even more embarrassed to think about some of the things I did to him. We were not on good terms. And I did not want to forgive him. And actually, honestly, I could not. 
I spent a fair amount of time in my teenage years thinking about how I was going to kill him, honestly, if I'm honest. And now I'm on the beach with Jesus, the good king, who says there's good news, and he said, here's the news. We're going to forgive him. Ah! We argued about it. I don't know why I waste my time arguing with God. It feels good for a little while, and I'm getting nowhere. He's becoming more convincing. And it all wound up in this little place where I, I said, God, I can't forgive him. And God said back to me, I know, we can. And it broke. Later on, when my dad was close to death, and he was connecting with God, and we were having these really hard conversations, he said to me, my faith became real to him when he could tell I forgave him. All my preaching didn't matter. It was my living that mattered. And I could not live that way apart from the good news. Because when I stepped into it and when I lived that way, it makes heaven clear and available. And this is why later on in this letter, Paul's going to say, we love this part of it where it says, we know that in all things God works the good. We know he works it together for good, but it's for those who are called according to his purpose. And that his good is conforming us into the image of his son. And when I was on that beach, it was a father-son talk, and the good king was calling, and he was saying, this is the way we need to go. And I realized that I can't, we can. And what happened 2,000 years ago became very relevant then and is even more relevant to me now. So why doesn't the good news feel good all the time? Because sometimes it takes us out to meet them. It takes us into the kingdom. Do you guys remember this scene with Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade? It's probably one of the most used movie clips. He's been following the journey, and he's, he's after the Holy Grail, right, Brennan? And he's on the last leg of the journey. His dad's been shot, and he's out there, and he's looking at this chasm, there's nothing there. And when God calls you out of Medum and into, into this, by good news, into a, a new step with him, it's, it's like stepping out. But it's not, he's not asking you to be a crazy jumper, just a free fall. He's calling you. That's the difference. And what Indiana Jones is about to find out is it, there's something different about this. But what it, I, I love the way his face looks. Can you see this? He just, he just does such a good market's time for what? To forgive your dad. That's how I looked. Really? And it's about trust. You can trust me. I'm the good king. Take the step. Do it. And the good news becomes great news right now. Not old news, not irrelevant news, not just good advice, a reality that you step onto, which is really what he found as he stepped. If we had time, we'd watch the clip. Kind of there. But have you seen it? Yeah, it really does depict this idea. If you haven't, watch it. It's good. Think about this invitation. 
to move from medium into the kingdom. So here's the thing. Pray with me now, would you? Right now in your life, I'm, I'm almost sure of it. I mean, there, you might be in an extremely good place where maybe you're not, but there's probably something that you're struggling with. Something, someone, your job, your neighbor, your spouse, your kids, your boss, your family, who knows? But we all have these places where our kingdom, our medium, feels threatened. And oftentimes, those struggles are the place that Jesus wants to come in and say, I've got good news. You can't, we can. So as we close this message with prayer, I want to invite you to not just get ready for the offering, but to get ready with a new step. A step into that place where, yeah, we feel the tension. Yeah, it feels precarious. But Jesus says, I'm the good king and I'm right here with you. What's that step? What is he saying? Jesus, thank you that this isn't old news. It isn't irrelevant news. It is world and life-changing news. The king and his good kingdom are here right now. In this room, in these hearts, there are people facing real situations, places where they feel like they can't. And you're saying, I can. And what will make it happen will be trust. The obedience of trust. So good, King. Do what only you can do. Move from the inside out. Open our eyes and our understanding. Open our hands as we make an offering. Open our hearts as we offer our lives. And we look forward to hearing more good news as you do what only you can do. In Jesus' name.
promises are yes and amen. Yes, name it. All your promises, all 
We're just going to sing that one more time. Our God is consistent, faithful you are, and forever you will be. Amen. 